Welcome to Ruling Sports, a podcast giving you a playbook for life. I'm your host, Alicia Jessup. Join me as I interview athletes, leaders, and innovators to uncover their game plans for success and give you insights to rule your life. Let the play clock begin. I hope you're ready to learn because today's episode features a sport business superstar with incredible insights on maximizing NIL opportunities, the future of group licensing, and getting involved in private investing. Nita Shrikanth grew up in Arlington, Texas, the daughter of two Indian-born Americans. A sport-obsessed child who played a myriad of sports, Nita actually became a ball kid for the Dallas Mavericks. Here, she'll share with us how being surrounded by people with a champion's mentality impacted her at a young age. She also tells us about what she learned about organizational culture from her years with the Dallas Mavericks. After high school, Nita left Texas for college, where she competed as a Division I basketball player. She discusses this experience and also tells listeners how college basketball prepared her for an impactful career in sport business. In particular, Nita has incredible insights on how sport experience leads to facilitating collaboration and building commonality amongst diverse groups in a workplace. She gives listeners an effective tool to grow and coach workplace teams in this area. These days, Nita is the Senior Vice President of Operations for Winners Alliance, the for-profit affiliate of the Professional Tennis Players Association. She talks to us about what the company is doing in the group licensing space for athletes on a global scale. She also walks listeners through what group licensing is and why it needs to be modernized. Nita has great advice for college athletes on what they need to do to maximize NIL opportunities. Beyond NIL, she also tells us how she got into private investing and the criteria she considers when making investments. This is a relevant conversation for college athletes and professional athletes alike because as their incomes grow, they may want to allocate some of that income to private investments. In this episode, Nita gives actionable advice for how listeners can get started in private investing and grow a network that facilitates investing opportunity. Here, though, it's important to note that nothing in this episode constitutes financial advice, but rather is the opinion of the guest. Always consult a licensed financial advisor and other trusted advisors before making a financial decision. As you can tell from this description, this episode is chocked full of great insights. So now, join me in welcoming Nita Shrikanth to the Ruling Sports Podcast. Nita, welcome to the Ruling Sports Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today about your career, what you're doing to promote athletes' rights, and getting into the investment space. Excited to be here. What goal, quote, or mindset has guided your life? The mama mentality, outworking the competition, kind of working uh, to do everything you can on a daily basis to have a champion's mentality. It doesn't just come, you have to put in the work. And so everything that I kind of do, whether it's on the work front, whether it's on other projects that I'm kind of doing is what am I doing to kind of forward my own championship mentality? 
Hmm, I love that. I love that you mentioned having a mentality that it doesn't just come, but it's something that you need to work towards. So I think that's a great launch pad for the conversation we're going to have. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what you were into. Daughter of two uh, Indian-born citizens. Um, they immigrated over here after my dad immigrated over here uh, for college. And then once he got married to my mother, they both settled down here in Arlington, Texas, where I was born and raised. Um, I lived in Arlington in the same home uh, pretty much until I graduated high school. And so my roots are really in the Texas space. Um, so yeah, I grew up there. I was really into sports growing up. I played pretty much everything from soccer, tennis, uh, basketball. Um, I even played baseball, softball, all of that stuff growing up. So sports was kind of bred into me and everything that I did. I got really good at soccer, but I had some injuries in in the junior high space, tore my uh, knee, and which kind of forced me to kind of change direction a little bit. Eventually kind of found myself uh, uh, playing basketball, excuse me. So I, I started to focus on that competitively at the same time that I actually became a, a ball kid for the Dallas Mavericks. I was a ball kid for the Dallas Mavericks for about six years from seventh grade until I graduated high school. Um, and then I would come back uh, when I when I went to college, I went and played college basketball during the first two years. I came back and, and worked with the Mavericks over the summer and got a little bit more professional experience with them. So, you know, for the, for the most part, I grew up around sports, have been around sports and sports has always kind of been bred into me. What position did you play in basketball? Living in Texas and where I, when I was growing up, you watched Dirk Nowitzki, number 41 play and he was a bit of a hybrid player. He kind of changed the way the game was designed for people who are tall. So I am 6'2". Officially was listed as 6'5". You know, sometimes they fudge those numbers <laughs> in the, in the college program. Yeah, it is. But when you put, you know, those Nike shocks shoes back in the day, that was like a platform heel that you were playing on. I was kind of bred to be back to the basket center type player. But one of the things that the, the Mavericks organization, whenever I was around them for eight years of my career in the early days, they, the coaching staff actually during the summer camps would have me focus face to the basket and say, here's what Dirk would do, you know, mm -hmm. one dribble off the, off the block and take a pull-up shot. So I would kind of hybrid uh, between like three to five. So wing down to center is what I would play. I think it's such a great metaphor for what you've ended up doing professionally, which again, we'll get to, but I want to come back to this role that you had of being the Dallas Mavericks ball kid. That's so incredible. If you go to Nita's LinkedIn profile, it begins at seventh grade with this role. How did you get into that? I loved the game of basketball. So my parents wanted to put me into as many camps to keep me busy. So during the summer times, I wasn't just playing video games all the time. <laughs> I went to the camps and the way they kind of select their ball kids is going through the camps and seeing who would kind of be the right attitude, uh, who has a discipline, and more importantly, who they want to kind of represent the mask. Because this is actually a pretty big role for the kids that were doing it at the time. Um, you would be there to greet fans as they were entering the venue. You'd be there to, you know, rebound for the players, but also mop up their sweat during the middle of the game. So it's a bit of a responsibility that came with it. So I would go to those camps and, you know, you had to apply. And then once you applied and got in for the first time and they would kind of choose if they wanted to keep you around or not. So I was lucky enough to, to get in right out of the gate and stick around for the duration of my career. That's incredible. Do you have a favorite memory or favorite story from that moment? Yes. So back in uh, 2005 or 2006, I think it's actually 2006 was the first time the Mavs made the NBA championships and um, NBA finals, excuse me. It was against the Heat. I think it was Shaq and D Wade playing against Dirk and a couple of folks on, on the Mavs side. 
you know, just being around there for the first game, being on the floor, and you can actually go back and look at the tape. You can kind of see whenever they're doing the starting lineup of the players, you'll kind of see a young Nita off to the side standing oh. in the background. That was my first time to really experience what a championship level of game is and how much pressure kind of comes on to the players. And I think I was a senior in high school at the time, and so or junior in high school at the time. That was sort of my launching point to say, I want to be a part of these type of events. I want to be a part of all the the glamour, the pressure, the the tears, the sweat, all of that when it comes to the the most elite opportunity for these players yeah. to win a championship. That entire first game redefined and changed my outlook on the rest of my career more than anything else with the Mavs. There's there's a lot of these one-off, you know, events that I can kind of tie back to, whether it's a ball gets stuck in the middle of the game in the net um, or the net gets caught up and I'm using a broom to try and fix the net. And then you see Mark Cuban run over and he just runs up and grabs when he was a little bit more athletic and younger, he would just grab the net and fix it himself. Or, you know, some of those small things, whenever a player would come over and just knock you on the side and just, and even if it's some of the small things too, where you have to have your head on a swivel, because sometimes someone would be going up for a dunk. We sat, we would sit right underneath the basket. And if a player gets knocked over or a technical foul happens, or an intentional foul happens, we end up getting knocked over. So um, some of those random things kind of pop up over time of my favorite memories with the Mavs. Absolutely. A lot of great life lessons, you know, keep your head on a swivel. You need to be paying attention to what's coming. What did you learn about organizational culture, spending so much time with the Mavs? I think that the impression that you put on your customers directly that has a direct impact on so many other things. And it's just, whether it was the product that they were putting on the, on the court, whether it was what they were doing with those camps in the community, a lot of my younger days were really shaped by the outreach that the Mavs community Mavs did to the community and to people like myself who were in Arlington, Texas. So as you mentioned, you actually went on to play division one basketball. You talked about being a hybrid player. Where did you play? I started out playing at the university of Oregon and I kind of hurt myself. I hurt my shoulder, hurt my knee. Um, and then I finished out my career at Cal state university, Northridge, the coach that kind of recruited me up there went down and um, became coached down at Cal State Northridge. So much about being a college athlete prepares you for life after the game. What about college basketball prepared you for your current career? How to work with the team, how to, you know, be in tune and have build chemistry and more importantly, build long lasting working relationships. Because at the end of the day, you're only as successful as your weakest link. And in, in the world of business, you have to cooperate and have um, coworkers, colleagues, supervisors that are on the same page as you when it comes to the mission that you're trying to achieve. Do you have any advice for listeners about how to bridge collaboration or trust or just understanding when you're working with a group from diverse backgrounds and unique experiences? Yeah, I think developing a deeper understanding of the people that you're working with is critical. Just knowing not just who they are and what their background is, but what their best communication style is, what gets them upset when it comes to some of the small ticky tacky things that get all of us kind of upset about. Um, and I think there, there are ways in which you can go about doing that. Um, but most importantly, at the end of the day, not and everyone is going to be treated or approached in the same capacity. It's like a coach, right? You don't treat everyone on the team the exact same way. You have to know how to approach them and coach them to their strengths and their weaknesses. And I think 
in a company culture, it's very similar. I know that people who don't like to be called out on in public groups, you don't call them out in public groups, you know, you do one-offs. I think that's just critical to building a deep chemistry and deeper understanding of how you operate within with each other. I think that's such great advice and something that a lot of leaders don't recognize is really getting to know the core and the whole person of who you're interacting with. And in the time that we're living in, that is so smartphone tech driven, it's easy just to scratch the surface in relationships, but there's so much value that can be gleaned by going deep. Yeah. And one of the things that we do here at Winners Alliance is actually use something called predictive index, which is an, a behavioral assessment. It's not meant to be a survey or a test to figure out what your personality is or whether your cognitive assessment is in some certain way. It's really meant to understand the person and what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what their best working environment is. Are they kind of driven? Do they have the drive? Essentially what it does is it enables me as, as you build the team to kind of make sure you have a diverse of thought, diversity of thought, diversity of skill set. But most importantly, you know which employees you're going to give them a couple of basic bullet points and let them go do their job and which ones you got to be more detailed on and explain, mm-hmm. here's what I need you to do. Um, and that kind of enables us from a leadership standpoint to be better in tune with what our employees need, but also better coach up and give direction in a way that is constructive to the individual employee. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Ruling Sports on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. It goes a long way to growing the show. Thank you for your support. You mentioned Winners Alliance, where you're currently the senior vice president of operations. But before coming into this role and bridging your time from a Dallas Mavericks ball kid, you've had some incredible career stops at places like the Dallas Cowboys, ESPN, the Sparks. And now, of course, with the Winners Alliance. What is the Winners Alliance? What are you doing? Winners Alliance is uh, a for-profit entity that's been formed and invested in. We've raised about $26 million in capital to pretty much drive group licensing for athletes on a global scale. So think collectibles, think, you know, in the NFL, they have jerseys that they, that they sell. We are essentially trying to figure out how we can collectively organize players in the game of tennis and drive group licensing opportunities for three or more individuals to them at scale through the relationships and the brands that we all have deep relationships with on our side. Why is the focus tennis? I think it's there's a massive uh, opportunity uh, in the game of tennis. It's one of the most globally recognized and celebrated sports. Um, and also just from a pure ratings and what the enthusiasm for the game and, and the sport is, tennis is actually right up there and actually in some cases far exceeding um, what our domestic sports are here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a, a massive opportunity and upside. The guy who's leading the charge, his name is Ahmad Nassar, who's a former founding CEO of One Team Partners. Hmm. Um, he's the right man for the job, having had the experience doing this at the NFL level at One Team. If you break down the numbers and what tennis players are leaving on the table, I think it's pretty clear that what we're doing in the game of tennis and what our focus will be could be a catalytic event for the betterment of the tennis player's well-being. You're exactly right. In America, sometimes we get blinders mm-hmm. where we think of the big four sports here in this country. But if you travel the globe, those certainly aren't the big four sports. And there's so much opportunity across other sport and games. In case listeners don't know what group licensing is, can you provide a brief definition? 
Um, so group licensing is essentially when athletes are coming together and leveraging their collective name, image, and likeness to get deals done with brands. And it's an essentially an efficient and accessible way for athletes to obtain and share in NIL revenue. So think of it like video games, trading cards, and name and numbers jerseys that are essentially are getting to market. Uh, you think about the NFL, NBA. Group NIL rights are typically represented by a third team. In our case, it'd be Winners Alliance. And we're negotiating on behalf of the athletes to maximize their NIL value and what a brand is essentially paying them on their products. Awesome. Yeah. The, the way I think about it, I think that's such a great definition is there's some types of products that in order for this product to be created, you cannot just sign one athlete to an endorsement deal. And I think the best examples are video games or trading cards. I very rarely am going to create a video game with just one athlete's appearance. I need a whole roster or a whole league of athletes. Well, it's hard for me if I'm the video game creator to go out into the marketplace and to secure every athlete's name, image, and likeness rights individually. So rather, I would like to go through a third-party conduit, whether it's a union or here an entity like Winners Alliance. So that's what group licensing is. That's why it's important. You've been working in this space for a period of time now beyond Winners Alliance, but you've said that group licensing needs to be modernized. What do you mean by that? I think the dynamic has shifted in the game of really just influencer marketing. The most marketable players are not necessarily always the best performing players on the field of play. I think there's a lot of factors that come into it, whether it's social distribution, marketability, um, maybe there's some other kind of X factors that come into play here. I think what when I say what I want to do in, in terms of modernizing group licensing, it's it's really through technology and accessibility, um, but more importantly, getting a deeper understanding of what the player's interests are, um, understanding what the player distribution is, and sometimes finding those golden those gems um, or those diamonds in the rough that maybe are not necessarily, as I mentioned, the top performing player, but they have the personality, they have a, a social audience um, that kind of makes them one of the more marketable players. And we see that all the time in other sports, right? The most recognizable name is probably someone who sometimes doesn't necessarily step on the field as much. I think understanding who those people are, developing storytelling around them, and most importantly, just getting a deeper level of engagement with that with that athlete, whether it's through technology or some other means, that's the modernization that needs to happen in this. And it's really just what I call the digital disruption of sports. Hmm. I love that. The digital disruption of sports. You've been working in this space for multiple years across <clears throat> multiple companies. And in particular, you've been heavily focused on the athlete endorsement and name, image, and likeness space. College athletes 18 months ago finally gained the right to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. So I'm a college athlete looking to take advantage of my NIL. What advice do you have for me on how I can maximize this opportunity? You know, in terms of how you maximize your opportunity, the, the reality is, is that most of these athletes are not posting content on their social. They're not really building their brand. They're expecting things to come their way. And in all reality, you have to hustle. Unless you have an agent, agents are kind of contracted to help you support that on the front lines. But in all realities, most, most athletes don't have agents. Most athletes don't have the resources to essentially have a team around them that is managing their NIL and managing their brands. So it is, whether it's a part-time or full-time job, however you see it, the, the growth of your own NIL is going to be based off of how much work you put into it. So my advice and my feedback is really take a step back and understand, is this 
NIL earnings opportunity something that's going to be vital to my time in college? Or do I want to use this as an opportunity to sort of build my brand and tell my story so that at the same time that I'm trying to monetize my NIL, I'm also sort of building my brand and my distribution. And so my two cents when it comes to collegiate NIL has always been the same. You need to grow your distribution, which is really your social accounts through storytelling, organic content. And then the second phase is really how you figure out who your audience is and what is critical to your own core values and your principles as a human and find those opportunities by reaching out directly to some of those brands or working with an independent company who potentially might be able to bring those network deals to you. I think that's incredible advice. And I want to come in and pin two (laughs) things that you said. One, you have to do the work. This isn't just going to flow to you. I work with a number of intercollegiate and professional athletes as an attorney and also on some brand building strategies. And the athletes who are the most successful in this space are the ones who are hustling and it's storytelling. What is branding? Branding is telling a story, is telling a captivating story that is true to your own mission, vision, and identity for yourself, but reaches a target audience. It goes back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation. You have to have the Mamba mentality. You have to have the champion mentality, and you have to wake up every day to be the best for whatever it is that you're striving to be. Do you want exclusive insights from your favorite athletes, sport industry leaders, and innovators delivered straight to your inbox? Subscribe today to the Ruling Sports Newsletter. The Ruling Sports Newsletter cuts the mystery out of success by bringing you leadership tools, entrepreneurial strategies, business insights, and wellness tips straight from some of the world's most positively impactful people. So go to rulingsports.com today and subscribe for free. You've graduated, you know, 11 years ago, so you're still early in your career. But one thing that I really admire about you is you're an investor. You hold stakes in multiple companies, including Perch and Campus. How did you get into investing? I learned. I mean, it's that's also even like going back to my career. How did I pivot from being sort of a social content creator and building, you know, social brands to now I'm leading ops and scaling businesses and figuring out org charts. I think a lot of what I've been able to do is self-teach myself. College is great for a lot of things, the more, you know, literary-based education. Um, but when it comes to kind of learning the real world, I had to go out and learn stuff through trial and tribulation and really general experiences. And, you know, when it comes to investing in companies, my time at Influencer, which is where I was prior to joining uh, Winners Alliance, really kind of enlightened me in terms of how companies are being built, how they're capitalized, and more importantly, how they're raising funding. Um, And there are a lot of really great products out there that require some funding. I've been blessed enough from a a work standpoint to have achieved some means where I could pay it back to the, the technology space and figure out how you help other companies grow. There were some products out there that I found to be something that I would use. And that was sort of my basis, uh, along with just understanding the landscape of who are the category kings. I'm not sure if you've read a book called Play Bigger, but that's a a book that I find really useful when it comes to thinking about different verticals in the space of technology. I kind of form my own investment thesis and determine what is something that's worth my funds. And Perch, for example, um, it's a great company where where they sell workout equipment, a camera that goes into the workout equipment. And 
I think as you think about the digital transformation and some of the things that I'm aligned with in terms of my own mindset, there are companies out there that kind of fit that mold and deserve funding. And that was that was the basis. I mean, I, I don't really have a general investment thesis as much as it's looking at the individual company, looking at the the leadership team in there, looking at what they've done up until the point that they are doing the capital raise and then understanding what are they allocating that capital for, how much they are raising, at what valuation, um, is it a recurring revenue business? Is it potentially just a one-off business? Is, is it in a category that is something that is SaaS-based? I mean, there are so many different things that you can kind of dive into to determine what, what the company is doing and where they're headed. And then you kind of take a step back and th- figure out, is this something that I want to be a part of? Is it a five-year investment? Is it a 10-year investment? Is it you know a, a 24 to 36-month opportunity? Um, is this something that you potentially just want to dump in there and not forget and forget about until there is a liquidity event. I mean, that's that's sort of what kind of goes into my investment thesis overall. Are you navigating this on your own? Are you working with an investment banker, an attorney? How are you navigating getting in the door to put capital towards these companies? A lot of times I just know the founder and just kind of develop relationships when it comes to actually putting, getting it to the final steps and doing due diligence. I do have an attorney that I work with to kind of look at the documents and ask some tough questions of me. Um, in terms of working with a financial uh, manager, I do have an accountant, but that's more from a personal standpoint. Ultimately, it's my funds and I determine where I want to put it and not put it. I think this is a great and important conversation. A lot of my research lies on women's leadership, women's entrepreneurship, and there's very strong data demonstrating that there's a gap in investment opportunities between women and men. What I've heard throughout our conversation, beginning with your parents, helping you become the ball child at the Dallas Mavericks, realizing the opportunity to be around others who could inspire you and motivate you. You're someone who's constantly hitting the ground for opportunity. And so, you know, you casually said, oh, I I, I knew the founders, but I, I think at least what I'm hearing is you're constantly learning. You're constantly putting yourself maybe in uncomfortable situations where you can grow as a human and a professional. What advice would you have for others listening on how they can get interesting people into their network and gain some of these opportunities? That's um, it's a loaded question. So here's what I'd say to that. You go to a lot of conferences, you go to a lot of events. I mean, there are a lot of obvious networking opportunities that you can get out there, but that's very top level. Going back to my point about predictive index, developing a deeper understanding of the people. What I've tried to do when it comes to networking and just the relationships that I've kept over time, and it's not always worked. There are people I've worked with in the past that I no longer speak with and just just because it's general life, right? But the ones who are people that you know that share your same values in general, you develop a deeper relationship with them. And over time, a lot of my best introductions, whether it's to Jacob Rothman at Perch, who's the CEO and, and founder of it, they come from those that are closest affiliated with you because your own network, your closest circle, they have their own networks too. And so those referrals that come in sometimes over time really come from the deeper relationships that you build with people and the trust that you put into people. So instead of just going a mile wide and an inch deep with people, I like to go a mile deep and keep it a small, tight, tighter circle. And that's worked out well for me. Do you have any other advice for women or others seeking to break into the private equity investment space? Be prepared. 
like come prepared to every conversation that you have, go find some of those VC scouts that are out there looking to breed the next talent, whether it's you're trying to raise capital for yourself or you're trying to look in different places that you could potentially invest in. I think um, a lot of times, sometimes just reaching out to the founders directly, whether it's through LinkedIn, email, even social media, and just asking, Hey, you know, I'd love to get to know you. Do you have an open round? Most people are likely raising right now, (laughs) given what's Uh happening in the economy. So, I mean, now's a really great time. And even if you don't have as much capital, find one or two companies that you really believe in and figure out, is there a way to get associated to it through advisor shares or potentially going to go work for them directly? They say that in economic recessions is when most of the companies that are going to be around for the next decade are going to be building and growing. So there's never a better time than right now to get involved in the startup space and find some of those companies that are going to be around and making a huge impact in the game of sports or any other vertical for the next decade or two. Yeah, that's great advice. A lot of your Mm -hmm. generational long-lasting companies, to your point, are born in recessions you have to become nimble <laughs> during a recession or an economic downturn. And if you can be nimble, you likely have staying power if you can navigate that economic period. So great exactly. advice. Nita, you're doing so many great things. How can people stay up to date with you and your work? LinkedIn is, is probably where I kind of keep the most uh, top line company updates, but I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Follow us, the PTPA and Winners Alliance. Also stay connected to us through some of our newsletter lists, which you can find on ptpaplayers.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, Alicia. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you gained wisdom that will help you rule your life. Let's stay connected on social media. We're at Ruling Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at rulingsports.com and email me your thoughts about the show at alicia at rulingsports.com. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the show and join us next time.